Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. As promised, this summer, we're going to be bringing you a series of updates from our partners, from our employees, from our staff, and and a whole host of other folks from across the prairies. We are, again, lacking data from the annual breeding population and habitat survey. And so that means we're going to be doing our best to connect you with people that are actually putting eyes on the ground and that are, you know, trying to give us some some understanding of how things are shaping up. Uh, most folks that listen to this will know we've talked about a fairly severe drought that's been um, that's been developing on the Canadian and U.S. prairies. We've heard from a few different people over the past few weeks, and we have another one of those guests today. He's a good friend of the show. He was on and joined us a few times last year. Pat Kehoe, Ducks Unlimited Canada's Director of International Partnerships. Pat, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. We brought you on here today, man. One thing that I will say is that this episode, like some of the others that we've had, was an uh, an exercise in persistence. It's taken us probably, I don't know, two days and four different pieces of technology to finally get connected, but we did it. So thank you for that. No problem. I always like learning about those technologies. It's pretty interesting, but we're here, so that's great. That's right. And we wanted to we wanted to have you join us to describe a recent trip that you took across the prairies. Uh, I think you work for the most part or our office there for the most part in Alberta. You can kind of give us the specifics on that. But then you had you recently went across uh, the prairie provinces all the way to Winnipeg, and that gave you an opportunity to put your eyes physically on some of the wetlands and wetland conditions across that important breeding landscape. We've heard from Mike Zemanski about what they saw from an actual data perspective, sort of landscape scale data perspective, and low pond counts that they observed. And we, we don't have similar data, you know, uh, actual data from, from the landscape north of the border to do any kind of meaningful comparison or estimation of ponds, but you do provide us here with an opportunity to look at how on, on maybe a relative basis conditions may be, uh, may be occurring across the prairie provinces. So I guess to start with, give us the, the background on your trip there across the prairies. When was it? And, uh, and yeah, what, how much were you able to see? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, last week, actually, I live in Winnipeg and I came over to, to Edmonton, but, um, drove the, the Transcanada highway and, and took a few offshoots down into the Missouri Coteau and, and, uh, some of the key habitat areas, the Allen Hills coming across. Um, and, uh, during the trip, the skies opened up. Things are getting getting wet. A little late for the ducks, but we've probably had in areas anywhere from three to four inches of rain uh, in the in the last week. Uh, and now that we've got water and heat uh, in the summer, it's 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 perpetuating sort of those daily afternoon rain showers or, or thunderstorms. And uh, so things are actually turning around pretty good. We were in a very very severe drought uh, living in Winnipeg. I shoveled my 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 sidewalk 
once all winter, which is abnormal. Normally you're doing it every two or three days in the winter. Just just no snowfall, no precipitation all winter. We might have had four to six inches of snow on the ground at the at the most, you know, and, and uh that is really abnormal. Normally you're you're dealing with two to three feet of snow on the on the level in that, that part of the world in a in a normal winter. So the result was we started the spring very, very dry. Lots of fires, you know, forest fires, grass fires, that sort of thing, burn bands right across the, the region. Except there is one spot on my trip uh, that's basically from the, the Saskatchewan border across to Edmonton, you know, about 150 miles uh, that is exceptionally wet. It was wet last year when I was over here in Edmonton. And uh, it's a band that, you know, isn't going to make a huge difference in terms of uh, of, of uh, waterfowl populations for migration, but it, it's, it, it is a, a ray of hope. And I think as you go around the region, you, you'd probably find a few other areas like that that are, you know, sort of 150 miles in in uh, in diameter that that are holding uh, you know more birds and and more water than than normal. So that that was uh, it's not universally dry, it rarely is, but this is as dry as I've seen it. I've spent now I guess my first years on the prairies were back in the early 80s, 1981. This is as dry as I've seen it since the the the, the mid uh, the mid 80s when we were. In a crisis in North America, North American plan, waterfowl management plan kicked off. Uh, populations were at all-time lows, those sorts of things. I, I, It's difficult right now to know what the duck population is. I'm sure you guys have talked about the pandemic and the impacts on, on international travel and, and the waterfowl surveys. We just uh, we don't have a good quantitative handle this year on waterfowl populations or pond counts like we normally would. So the best we've got is anecdotal uh, information from, I guess, guys like me that have been around for a while, and and uh, and uh, it, it certainly was pretty dismal uh, starting the spring, and that was extending all the way down into the Dakotas. I talked to a few folks in the Dakotas in the last last week, and they're also getting rain now. So you know, it, it does give us a ray of hope and optimism for next year, uh, but I would expect uh, you know, sort of lower, definitely lower than than uh, uh, than the fall flights we've enjoyed for the last 10 or 15 years, it's probably going to be, uh, you know, uh, a pretty, a pretty tough year for, for young birds, especially in the fall flights, but there will still be ducks. I mean, you know, it's a big part of the country and there's, you know, still millions of ducks out there, but, uh, but the production, which a lot of people need for good waterfowl hunting is going to be lower than, than it has been in, in, in a number of years. Good side of that, of course, is, Wetlands need to dry out. Our, our, our wetlands in Prairie Canada have been wet for 15 plus years. They started to get stagnant in the last few years. They need to draw down, dry out, reflood, and uh, and uh, reinvigorate the the nutrient cycle in those wetlands to to provide the the invertebrates, the bugs, and and, and such that the the young ducklings need to eat to, to grow. So. Uh, Drought is needed. It's a necessary part of the cycle, but it's a hard pill to swallow when you're sitting in a duck blind uh, expecting the, the numbers that you've seen in the last few years. Pat, I want to ask you a little bit more about that area in Saskatchewan that you described as being uh, exceptionally wet or very wet. Is that by chance anywhere near the Allen Hills region is, or are we a little bit different from that? 
It, it would actually be, it's on the Saskatchewan border. So the town of Lloydminster is right on the Saskatchewan border and then extends uh, west into Alberta. So it's actually in in, a, in one of our target landscapes, uh, the Viking uh, uh, landscape uh, 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 east of Edmonton. Uh, so it is in a good, good waterfowl production area. And uh, I mean, but it, it's probably in the order of, you know, uh, high tens of thousands of ducks using that area, maybe maybe a hundred thousand at the upside. So it's not it's not going to contribute a whole lot, but it is it is a good in very good shape this year. And it was uh, last August when I went through as well. So that's the thing. I mean, when things are wet, you know, up up here, you get that water makes water, right? So when it heats up, you get more thunderstorms, you get that wet cycle. When things dry out, then they dry right out. So having an area like that, that, that was wet last last summer, you know, it's not unusual that it would be wet again this year uh, and would probably carry on, you know, even if drought was to continue for another two, three years of, of, of good wetland uh, habitat conditions in that area. Rebound can be very quick too. I mean, if we if we continue to get rain this summer and a decent snowfall next winter, you know, we'll be right back in the in the in the ballpark. It'll take several years to build up to what we were four or five years ago, but it, those ducks can respond very quickly when water hits the ground. That's great perspective. And whenever you were, whenever you mentioned that that area of good wetland condition was on the uh, on the Saskatchewan border. I think I instinctively thought about the eastern border, but you're talking about the western border, obviously, and going into Alberta. And so is that, right. you know, whenever I've been looking at the drought maps uh, and, and you having driven across this area, and, and we're going to be, a, there's going to be a little bit of a mismatch between the date of the drought maps that I had been looking at and then when you traversed the, the prairies here last week. Uh, by the way, we are recording this on June 16th, just kind of for a, a temporal stamp on things, uh, meaning that you were, um, it was, would have been kind of early to mid June when you were, went across the prairies. So the drought maps that I was looking at, let's say in early June, uh, late May tended to suggest to me that the drought was most severe in North Dakota, stretching into South Dakota, north into southwestern Manitoba, and then, and then as you went west into Saskatchewan and and Alberta, it was still dry, still pretty. Um, I don't know if extreme is the right word, but some pretty substantial drought, let me just say. But is, were those drought maps capturing the way wetland conditions were were unfolding or the, the, the way they were on the landscape based on your uh, based on your view of it? Oh, oh, very much. Uh, one example, again, anecdotal, but, you know, I, I, I hunt morels in the spring, right? So it, it mushrooms are very dry here was a poor year for morels, but there's one, one bush that I go to a woodlot that uh, has a, has about a hundred acre wetland running through it. And normally uh, you, you can just get through it in, in muck boots this year, sneakers. It was, it was totally dry. That hundred, hundred acre cattail marsh, not a, not a lick of water in it anywhere. So yeah, that drought map is pretty accurate in terms of, uh, of what the impacts on wetlands are. You know, the more permanent wetlands, what we call the class uh, threes and fours, fives certainly have water in them. But uh, as a mark, just visually what they look like, you know, as they've been flooded fairly high for the last years, they were the water was actually up into the trees surrounding these wetlands. This year, there's a, probably a, a, a 10, 10 foot mud flat 
from the trees to the water. So the water has dropped back out of the trees and receded to just be a pool in the middle of those wetland basins. So, so they're far from far from full. Uh, whereas that area I talked about by Lloyd Minster here, it's back up into the trees, you know. So that we've lost a lot of water on, on the prairies. And and uh, but here, here's another observation. You know, I think it was about 2000. I was working in Brooks, Alberta. Dry, dry, very very severe drought in that area. June 8th, we got eight inches of water in, in 48 hours. Uh, it rained. I mean, it was it was more than the average rainfall for Brooks. Pools formed, you know, in 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 the pastures and the rangeland and and the agland. And ducks showed up out of nowhere. Pairs, like there, there couldn't have been pairs of pintail in that area uh, within 200 miles that year, given the drought conditions that were in southern Alberta. So there's still. You know, it, it's getting very late, but some species like the, the blue-winged teal, the, the, the shovelers and gadwalders still hope that with the rain conditions we've had in the last week, and there is sheet water laying around, there could be a little bit of a bump on those that, that we wouldn't have expected at all four or five weeks ago. So, you know, it, it, it it's going to be a, a poor production year, absolutely, but but there are some small rays of hope for certain species given some of those the ability for them to respond but we're you know we're we're getting past mid-june now so you know 24 25 days for the nest to establish and 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 ducklings to hatch and then eight to ten weeks for them to fledge and and, and get to a position they could even think about flying south that's putting us up against you know the frost season in early september so it, it's it, it it's it's Possible that there could be a bump in production uh, due to this rain, but but not likely to have a real significant impact. Pat, you mentioned the rain that has fallen here over the recent weeks. Did you did you see any uh, kind of temporary, any ephemeral wetlands forming, and were the ducks responding on your trip uh, the way you described in that in that earlier experience? Yeah, yeah, well, the, the the rain fell during my trip, but certainly driving around uh, from from Regina up to uh, Edmonton uh, last Wednesday, there was sheet water laying in agricultural fields. The good part of that, too, it, it, not good for the for the farmers trying to, you know, produce crops that are, are getting flooded, but is that seeding has been done, so those birds that do try to nest now won't be impacted by seeding and agricultural operations. So again, another little edge there that that, that, that could have a positive impact on uh, on fall flights. But yes, I, I was seeing some some birds respond to the to the new water as I as I moved across. I'm driving back next week, so it'll be interesting to see how big a change there is in in in, uh, in the landscape. Uh, you know, going back sort of after three to four inches of rain. Yeah, and so the rain that you received, we talked to Mike Zemanski, and one of his concerns about the rain they had received in North Dakota is it came down in and like thunderstorm and very, very heavy rain. And he was talking about how, at least in those areas where, uh, for, for wetland basins embedded in cropland, uh, they actually saw a fair bit of erosion and, and topsoil runoff into those, into those wetlands. Did you, was that the same type of, were those the same type of precipitation, heavy rainfall events that y'all received in, in Canada? We've, we've certainly had some of that, uh, but I, I'd say overall it's been a mix. We had a couple of days that were just a slow, steady rain. But again, with those those uh, those fields being plowed and and seeded bare basically this time of year, uh, except for you know some little seedlings of wheat and so on, uh, yeah, erosion is a is a is a huge concern. Uh, water erosion, yeah, absolutely. Any insight on? 
wetland conditions in the boreal forest, whether they're in the western boreal forest or eastern boreal forest. Um, I, I know you have a lot of colleagues within DU Canada and, and uh, other organizations and, and agencies. Have you spoken with any of them? And, and maybe just kind of give people some context of the the um, how the year-to-year variation in wetland conditions in the boreal forest compared to that that we see in the um, in, in the prairies? Yeah, uh, so the, the boreal forest is generally more of a stable environment in terms of water conditions than the prairies. Uh, you know, larger larger lakes, larger wetlands, uh, more watershed uh, type wetlands, you know, so there's a constant flow of water through them. So boreal forest tends to be the, the reservoir for waterfowl populations, continental populations when it is drought on the prairies. So what happens is the birds will come and they'll nest wherever the, many species will nest wherever the, the nearest available water is. So in the last few years, we've seen populations in, in North and South Dakota fairly high, particularly species like pintail and teal that tend to be more nomadic. But when it's dry, those birds will totally overfly the prairie pothole region and, and end up in the, in the boreal and attempt to breed there. And uh, so the boreal is is a is the strongest reservoir for waterfowl in drought years, no question about it. That's where a lot of the birds that normally would breed on the prairies end up uh, and uh, and can breed fairly successfully in the in the boreal forest, and that keeps the the overall population sort of intact continentally. So when water does return to the prairies, those birds will return to the prairies. Uh, uh, they'll respond to that water very quickly. Pat, I appreciate you joining us here. We're going to start wrapping up that you brought some really useful and, and unique insights to this picture that we've been describing. We've been talking a lot about, and I know we will continue to talk about it. And that being the, the widespread drought, you provided great context earlier with a comment that you made about uh, even, even in this year where we have been starting to communicate about a rather widespread and severe drought, you had identified even before the rains of a couple of weeks ago that there were still some pockets, small in the grand scheme of things, that uh, within the prairies that did have decent wetland conditions. And that's a point that that we've that we try to make, and certainly are trying to make, is that during any given year, it's not at all uncommon to find areas that are going through rather severe drought and other areas that are just brimming with water and, and very, uh, very full wetland basins. But then also it's, it's pretty rare for us to see years where we have the entire prairie landscape with full wetland basins and also similarly rare where we would see the entire prairie landscape totally absent, totally void of, of any water, right? And so that speaks to the dynamic nature of that entire system and the importance and the, the reason why Ducks Unlimited and Ducks Unlimited Canada approach the conservation of that important landscape from, a, uh, from the entire landscape perspective, right? Absolutely. Our whole strategy, whether you're in the Dakotas working for DU or with DU Canada, is to you know set that table in terms of optimal habitat uh, available. So when the water comes, those birds respond. And, and as you say, they'll move around the region you know, from, from North Dakota to, to northern Alberta depending on where the water and conditions are best in any given year. You know, it, it, we've had a you know, blessing of a set of, of very wet years, which, which, uh, which have provided us with tremendous fall flights. But as I said, that drought is, is a necessary part of the, the cycle. The birds will come back. There's no doubt about that when the water returns. And hopefully we're seeing the first signs of, of water returning because it's been drying up really for the last three, four years. Yeah, this is actually, this has been some really good news compared to some of the other stories that we've heard. And, and I think it's, 
uh, it's illustrative of how quickly things can turn around. Uh, and but again, I think the thing to emphasize here is that you know, despite the rain that you've talked about, that's the the response and maybe the the scale at which that rain has fallen is similarly not uniform across the landscape. So it's again, it's this dynamic landscape in in space and time. But nevertheless, this is certainly trending in the right direction as of this particular day, and we can kind of hope that things continue in that regard. One one question that we might get is that we talk a lot about the importance of wetlands periodically drying. Uh, let's say, I mean, had, did they dry enough, I guess, was the question. What do we know about the length of time that these wetlands need to dry up if they were dry at the beginning of the spring and now they're wet again? Is that enough to do the nutrient recharge, nutrient recycling that we were talking about? What do we know in that regard? I admit I'm not, not necessarily the expert in that, but I, I think when you see these these class three and four wetlands down with mud flats below the tree lines and they reflood, I think that's enough because that's the, the zone that those ducklings are feeding in. So that area is drying out. The vegetation that's accumulated there over the years is is, is dying out, and then when it's flooded, those nutrients are released back into the into the system. So I don't think it has to be a total dry mud cracked basin to, to 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 have that recharge impact uh um, certainly the, the more ephemeral wetlands, those seasonal wetlands are in that state. They're totally dry or were totally dry. And, and, and uh, so I, I think what we've seen in terms of drought right now, if, if water returns as it, as it's starting to, uh, it's a long way to go, but it is, is starting to, I think, I think you'll see a, enough of a recharge in, in nutrients to, to give that population boost when the birds find the water in, in future years and, and, and come back. Well, that's good news to hear. We'll keep an eye on the weather uh, and the rainfall patterns up there and keeping in mind that you're going to be traveling back across the prairies here in a couple of weeks. If we see some important changes, we'll try to reconnect with you uh, maybe for another update here during the summer. I know we'll be connecting with you in the fall as we get closer to the hunting season. We're going to have, again, developing questions about whether the border is going to be open and I don't know if you have any up, any updates on that. You can um, uh, let me just kind of stop there and ask you if you have any updates on on the border. There's supposed to be an announcement this week. It, it, as as you may know, it's it's the 21st of the month that they make the announcement on on what the border will be for the next month, and uh, we're finally seeing signs with with vaccination rates being high that they're going to put a plan out. So I'm, what I'm waiting on right now is the announcement of that that plan for reopening. But I think we're pretty optimistic but that by September that uh, the border will be open, certainly to, to those that have, have had the two doses of vaccine. Um, and, uh, you know, that will allow you guys to come up for a fall hunt again, you know, which which we've missed uh, last year. And, you know, two months ago, I would have given it 50-50 whether it was going to happen. Right now, I'd say we're probably 80-plus percent. Uh, looks like we'll have that green light by September Probably the vaccination requirement. We don't know that yet, but as soon as we get an announcement here in the next, uh, hopefully the next 24 to 48 hours, I'll, I'll let you guys know what uh, what's up. Awesome. Well, handicapping this from 50-50 a few weeks ago or months ago to now 80-20, uh, I think most people will take that any day of the week. And, of course, there's no guarantees. We're not going to hold you to it. because, <laughs> you no. know, uh, no. But, yeah, it, that's that's good news. It's good news from a number of perspectives. And, you know, I, it's a larger signal that things are trending in the right direction with regard to the health of the Canadian uh, citizens and, and your population there. That's what's important. And we know what those restrictions are put in place for that purpose. So it's good for a number of number of reasons. 
Well, things are starting to open domestically in terms of interprovincial travel. That's why I'm over here now. Uh, you know, up up till two weeks ago, I couldn't have made this trip. You know, in terms of travel restrictions, but uh, but things are opening, so we're we're getting to go province to province. The next step, of course, is the international border, and you know, I think I think people on both sides of the border are getting anxious and ready for that to happen. I mean, summer travel, all the rest of it is is, uh, is something people look forward to. And certainly the fall for, for our clients is, a, is an important time on the Canadian prairie. And uh, yeah, hopefully that will be open by September. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic at this point. Like I say, I wouldn't, I'd bet better money on it right now than I, I would have a month ago, but, uh, but I, I wouldn't bet the whole, uh, whole shooting match on it at this point. That, that is good to hear. And yeah, I know a lot of people will be excited about that if they're able to get up there and, and uh, enjoy those enjoy those resources again. So, uh, Pat, we will stay in touch with you on a couple of things. I know we will reconnect with you once the hunting season unfolds to kind of get a, an idea of, of what it is that you're seeing and what kind of success you're experiencing. And, uh, of course, hopefully there will be some uh, some non-residents up there hunting uh, hunting with you as well. And uh, so any any final words here before we close this out? No, I will certainly keep in touch, and uh, I'll let you know what I see on my on my return trip to Winnipeg. And uh, I'm hoping I see uh, you know a lot more birds than I did on the way over here. I certainly expect to see a lot more water than I did on the trip over. That's great news. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Pat Kehoe, Ducks Unlimited Canada's Director of International Partnerships. We we appreciate his insight from the prairies of Canada and his recent travels across there and kind of giving us an assessment, a windshield assessment of how wetland conditions have actually improved here over the past couple of weeks. That's always good news. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great work he does on this podcast. And to you, the listener, we thank you for joining us and we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.